Welcome to Point with Daryl Jones, speaker, author, and lead pastor of the Rock Fellowship Church in Miami, Florida, and president of Point Ministries. Our goal at Point Ministries is to point you to the Word of God, where Jesus is the point. Today's message is from the Christ Supreme series, where Dr. Jones teaches verse by verse through the book of Colossians to show that Jesus Christ reigns supreme above any alternative the world offers. Now let's join him for today's message. And today we're going to pick up on Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. Verse 6 says, So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. You were also circumcised in him with the circumcision not done by hands, but putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ when you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with all its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. Today, many of us have grown up with various superstitions in which we order our lives by. You know, I remember growing up and even as a kid, you may uh, be telling somebody or waiting on some news and you just cross your fingers. That meant crossing fingers for good luck, like something good happened if I just cross my fingers. I mean, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what news I'm about to receive. But if I cross my fingers, it'll work. Or you might have grown up and been told not to walk up under a ladder because if you walk up under a ladder, that's bad luck. You know, something bad was going to happen to you. Now, what's interesting about that, I got older and it's like, I, you don't walk under a ladder because something bad might happen to you. You don't walk up under a ladder because it's just not safe. If something happened with that ladder, you get closed in it. But it's not so much about the future, what might happen. But you, you may have grown up like that. You know, you may have grown up, with, oh, you know, step on a crack, break your mother's back. You know, so you grow up trying to avoid stepping on the cracks and, you know, you walk, you see the sidewalk, you see the crack, you step over it. Why? Because nobody wants to break mama's back, right? You know, but you have some other superstitions that I, I remember I got into my teenage years and there was a superstition that if you're walking with somebody and say a pole or something, a fire hydrant or a mailbox or anything came up that you don't split the pole. You don't walk around it, meaning you don't split apart and walk around and come back together. I remember thinking, like, what's going to happen? It, what they say was, like, if you were in a relationship, if you were dating, if y'all split the pole, you were going to break up. If you were friends, then the friendship was going to come to an end if you split the pole. So some people, so much, they believe this so much 
that you'll be walking and they may see a pole and they'll grab their friend or whoever they were dating so they don't split the pole. And I remember thinking, I got a little older. I was like, man, what's that going to do? And I was growing in Christ, so I see the pole and I intentionally split the pole and be like, now what? What's going to happen? What power is working in that? Like, what, what, what's going to happen? I was like, I'm, I'm going to test this superstition. It's interesting how we, we grew up with so many different superstitions for luck, for good fortune. And, and it was a trip. I came when I got to South Florida. You know, I heard it when I was in college. Then when we came back as adults with our family, you know, there's, there's a superstition that actually has two applications depending on what culture you're in. And I found this to be, and I, and I know I may be stepping on some toes, but I'm hoping to liberate some people mentally from some of the bondage of these superstitions. There was one that, one culture, if somebody's sweeping and they sweep your feet, the thought is you're going to end up going to jail. Now, I don't know where that came from, but to get my feet swept, I don't really think that's going to cause me to be a criminal. But that comes from somewhere. It came from somewhere. And then another culture, if somebody's sweeping and they sweep your feet, that means you're not going to get married. And so people run from and avoid getting their feet swept because they either don't want to go to jail or they want to get married. They don't want to be single their whole lives, so they keep their feet from being swept. Superstitions. When you think hard, when you think to the logical conclusion of, of what this superstition is saying in regard to truth, at what power is it? What, what power is working in the broom that crosses your feet that causes you to be incapable of a long-lasting marriage relationship? What power is working in that broom when it sweeps across your feet that's going to cause you to go out and do and commit a crime where you're going to go to jail? What power is working in it? Now, I know we come up with these things and they, they become kind of traditions in how we roll, but the sad thing is a lot of times these types of superstitions govern our lives. And we're actually made prisoners of faulty thinking. In this passage that we're reading today, in the book of Colossians, as Paul is arguing for the truthfulness of the gospel and every other message that opposes the gospel to be false, he dives in a little more deeply over these verses and even the verses to come that we'll be looking at later that don't let anything that comes against the gospel fool you. Don't be deceived. Don't be tricked. And he starts off in verse 6, and he says something. He says, as you have received Christ as Lord, live in him. Some of your Bible verses may say, walk in him. And I love the wording he uses because he's saying not just a cognitive understanding, but your faith is to have feet. Meaning that I order my life and the conduct and everything I do flows out of having received Christ Jesus as Lord. Now, I want to I hang out here just for a second because I want us to understand what he's saying and why he's using the language he's using. Because it can seem redundant. Christ Jesus as Lord. We know Christ, that's the Greek word for Messiah, the Hebrew word, which is saying that's the king. That's the, the anointed one. That's the one God has appointed to, to lead and rule and save. You know, why he put that Lord in there? Because it, it, when we look at in, in John's gospel, it says for, for those that have received him, he's given the power to become sons and daughters 
of God. He's he, those who have believed in his name. So he's speaking to us as receiving Christ by faith. It's an acceptance. Now, once we accept the truth that Jesus is the Christ, it also carries the fact that understanding his lordship. Because as Paul has already laid out before these verses and who Jesus is, as Jesus is Lord, Jesus is God, Jesus is creator, that all of creation was created by him, through him, and to him, and he holds all things together. That's who this Jesus is. That's who this son is. He says, as we have received him as Lord, walk in him, live in him. Meaning, if Jesus is calling the shots, act like it. Act like it. Like, if you say Jesus is Lord, Jesus even posed this to his disciples. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? So when we say Lord, it's carrying within it Im implicitly in its meaning that he calls the shots. And if he calls the shots, that means we order our lives by his word. He says, as you receive him, Christ Jesus, as Lord, walk in him, live in him. And he says, in this sphere of him, he, he's, he's using this corporate understanding of life in him. It, it, it makes me think my, my brother-in-law is a firefighter paramedic, actually about to be a PA. And uh, I remember being younger and having the opportunity to put on some of that firefighter gear, you know. And uh, I think about that every now and then. I go by the house and I may see his gear and I call him a, a true hero because he's going in saving lives. And I, I remember thinking about that one time I put on firefighter gear, it changes your walk. Uh, because when you get in that equipment, everything changes. How you breathe, how you move, how you navigate. And I thought about that experience when it says live in him, walk in him, meaning once I've stepped into union with Christ, my walk and everything about me, how I live and move and have my being is going to change. He says, if you receive him as Lord, walk in him. And this is important. This is important to, to grasp because some people, and there's been debates about this as, you know, knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior or just Savior and I want to clarify some things. To receive Jesus and accept Jesus as Savior is at the same time receiving him as Lord. You can't split the two. Now, there is growth in sanctification. There is a process of becoming more and more Christ-like. I don't want to act like right at the moment you say yes to Jesus, you're perfect and, and spiritually mature. No. But what I am saying is that it's two sides of the same coin. If you took a two-headed quarter and put it into a vending machine, you know what's going to happen? It's going to spit right back out. Why? Because it's illegitimate. If you had a coin with two tails on it, you put it in a vending machine, it's going to spit it right back out. Why? Because it's illegitimate. Well, you need the head and the tail size for a legitimate coin to be accepted. I Meaning a true faith in Christ is illegitimate. If I'm going to say, yes, I got he saved me, but I'm not going to walk in him as Lord. He's not calling the shots on my life. To do so is to reject him as Savior. You say, I don't want your salvation. I can take care of things. I can live my own life how I please. And I can do enough to please God in my own strength. That is to refuse Christ. But as you have received him as Lord, he says, walk in him. Act like it. Our faith has feet. 
our conduct should flow, that Jesus is calling the shots, that Jesus commands my destiny. He commands my life. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's no shame in that. Matter of fact, you lose nothing in that. You actually gain everything as we just found verses before this because Jesus is the true treasure. The greatest treasure of all is to have Jesus. We hope this message is blessing you today. Before we continue, we want you to know about Point Ministry resources. Please visit daryljones.org. That's D-A-R-Y-L jones.org and subscribe to receive our refuel devotional and view other discipleship materials. Our goal is to point you to the word of God where Jesus is the point. Now let's rejoin Dr. Jones for the rest of today's message. So he says, as you received him, walk in him. Then he tells us how to do this. He says to be rooted. Now I I want us to grasp this because some of this language is not a lot of a lot of us don't have experience with this. But I got a little bit of experience with this not too long ago. He says being rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. He literally tells us how to implement what it looks like to walk in him, to live in him. He says first being rooted and built up. Now, both of these are actually passive. This is something that we're relying on Christ to do in us, but he's calling attention to our connection and our growth. When he says being rooted, when, when you plant something and get rooted in the ground, it's, it's to remain there so it may get all that it needs, its nutrients, its life can pulsate through the vine, the tree, the branch, whatever it is, so it may grow. He uses this horticulture to understand. He says, and, and I I, I got a grasp of this because years ago on a mission trip, we went to uh, Mississippi and one of the ministries we were serving there, they had a farm. And the farm, farm actually had, uh, it, it, it produced uh, crops and uh, they, they had some livestock, they had some goats so they can, you know, get milk and cheese. They had, egg, they had chickens so they can get chicken and eggs and things. And uh, so it was pretty cool. But what it did, it offered uh, lower cost produce and supplies and resources for the community that uh, for those that, that uh, couldn't afford or were struggling to go to the, to, the, to the grocery store or some of the other kind of chain branch stores. And so it was a really, really great ministry. And we went out there and I remember going out planting peas. Now, I thought it was going to be easy, but it was about 200 meters and I would have to take two feet and then I would dig, I'd plant I throw fertilizer and I cover it up and I go, you know, and I was going, and it took me forever and I had a whole nother appreciation. Then the next day we went out, we were picking peas that had grown. Then the next day we went out and we were picking watermelon. I got a whole new appreciation for watermelon and where they come from and how you get them. My goodness. But all of this kind of helped me understand, he says, being rooted because when, it's, when, when a plant is rooted and then its roots attached to the soil and it gets all its nutrients as it rains the rain comes and it gets the water it needs and life pulsates meaning if we want life to be truly pulsating in us we got to stay rooted in him we got to stay grounded in him we can't pluck ourselves out because once you pull a plant out of the ground it immediately starts to die yes it may look good for a while but it is as good as dead unless it gets back replanted he says being rooted in him. And then he says built up. He moves from this gardening to this 
construction understanding being built up that's why we're called living stones we as believers in jesus christ are called the temple of god the holy spirit indwells us so as god is building us up it's using his language that he's he's adding to us he's building us he's constructing us it's that part of that spiritual growth that the apostle talked about in chapter one he wants us to grow so part of us walking in him, part of our lives being ordered by him is that we stay connected and we depend on him to grow us, to build us up. But then not just that, he says, being established in the faith. Now, this faith, what he's saying is being established. He says, don't be wavering from the faith you were taught. That's why he says, just as you were taught, Epaphras brought the gospel. The church was planted by Epaphras, who's actually in jail at the time of the writing, with Paul. And he says, remember what you've been taught. Remember the discipleship. It's important. Remember, Jesus says we are to make disciples in Matthew 28. He says, you go, you baptize them, and you teach them to obey all that I've commanded. We see this playing out right here in Paul's letter, exactly what Jesus talked about in Matthew 28. Because the gospel has gone forth. People have gone to Colossae. They have received the gospel. We even see, and we're going to dive into it in a minute, in these verses, they've been baptized into Christ. And now he's appealing to the faith that they have held on to and who Jesus is as Lord. The discipleship to grow, to live out all that Jesus has commanded. This is how we walk in him. As we have received Christ Jesus as Lord, walk in him, live in him. And then lastly, he keeps getting back to this with gratitude. Our lives are to be characterized with gratitude. At the very end of verse 7, he says, just as you were taught in overflowing with gratitude. Overflowing. Like, is it, you ever pour it too much? And it starts overflowing? One, one of your kids made a mess in the kitchen because they kept pouring. You know, they made too big a bowl of cereal and they got stuff flowing all out the bowl and making a mess all over the place, and you mad? That's what gratitude in our lives is to look like, just overflowing, just spilling out. And the gratitude is towards him. You might be sitting there like, Pastor, you don't know how my life is, though. You don't know how jacked up. You don't know how I've been treated, how I've been abused. You don't know how my finances are. You don't know how my relationships are. You don't know what my job situation is like. And the truth is, yeah, I don't know. What I do know is this, if you're watching this right now and you have breath in your body, I want you to think about what Christ has achieved for you and the promises you have in Christ. Some of us, we get frustrated because we believe the lie about Christ. We believe that God is going to do something for us that Jesus never promised us. What we have to get back to is what has Jesus promised? What has God said? And we see his faithfulness and because we've seen his faithfulness, we can expect his faithfulness for the promises to come in Jesus Christ. So as we've received, if you've placed faith in Christ, if you're watching right now and you have not placed faith in Christ, let me invite you to do so right now. Accept him because he is Lord. He says, as you received him as Lord, walk in him. And then after he tells them how to walk in him, he goes in verse 8 and he says, now, for those who've received him as Lord, be careful. Don't let anyone take you captive. I, I love this. I love this. He says, don't, don't be fooled now. Don't let anyone take you captive. Now, remember, he's, he's speaking to Gentile Christians in Colossae. When, 
When the Roman Empire would take over a city, what they would do to prove their dominance is that they would take prisoners. Some of them they would kill, and some of them they would, uh, some, some records show that they would even strip them down. For the most part, no clothes, strip them down, tie them up, chain them up, and have them in the back of a procession to show their dominance and power and put on full display their victory and who they have conquered. And those who conquered are those that have been taken captive and shown off publicly that they are now captured, they have been subdued, and that they belong to this new power. Paul uses this language and he catches them right and he says, make sure that they don't take you captive through philosophy and empty deceit. Now, this word philosophy that he's using is not as narrow a term as we use today. Like you go off to college and you take a philosophy one-on-one or you major in philosophy. It's a lot more narrow than that. The word he's using here for philosophy is just a term to say a system of thought. He says, don't let anyone take you captive with a system of thought and empty deception. Now, I I want you to understand what he's saying here because he's calling it empty and deceptive. A worldview, an ideology, a faith system, a religion, religious practices that are empty and deceptive. Most of us are familiar with a pacifier. You know, a nursing baby, when a nursing baby is hungry, there's no reasoning with that nursing baby. There's no word. They they can't talk. They're not understanding English enough. You know what they know at that moment? All they know is, I want milk and I want it now, mommy. I want milk and I want it now, mommy. And there's no pleading. There's no arguing. They will cry and holler and scream until you appease them. Great invention was the pacifier. Pop a pacifier in their mouth. That pacifier, they suck on it, and they, suck, and they get that sensation because they, 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 they suck on the pacifier, and they're calmed down. But you know what happens? The pacifier don't last long. Because what they start to realize after some time, like, I'm sucking, and I'm sucking, I'm sucking. You know what? I'm not getting any milk. I'm not getting any milk. I'm not getting what I expect out of this. Yeah, it worked for a little while. It worked for so much time until it didn't and then that baby is hollering and spinning it out and you try to put it back in and they may start sucking on it again and they'll spit it out you put it back in why you're trying to you know mommy's not there to nurse or you're trying to get the formula ready and i've been there it's times mama been gone and one of the babies were crying and i got that pacifier in and i'm trying to warm up some of that milk that she left in the fridge or in the freezer and i'm trying to get it ready and i'm and i'm trying to force that that pacifier in like just 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 be quiet just chill for a minute you know suck on the pacifier and I, i'll get it for you and all they, they realize daddy you lied to me Who, whoever it is it's like it's the biggest fraud ever like, matter of fact, it's one of the biggest lessons that babies learn early on. It's like, man, I, I, I can't trust everybody. They'll pop a pacifier in my mouth, and I'm supposed to have something else with milk. See, pacifiers work, but only for so long, and you find out they're empty and deceptive. Other faith systems, other religious systems, other ideologies, other worldviews that are not 
according to Christ, yeah, they, they may work for a little while. And what you'll find at the end is that they're empty and deceptive and they don't deliver on what they promise. And they have no spiritual value. None. And he says, you know how to recognize them is because they're based on human tradition or they're based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. Based on human tradition. We talked about superstitions. We got all kinds of superstitions and, and, and traditions of how we do things and, and why we do things. And we think they work. Matter of fact, human tradition just off experience. Well, this happened to me, so it must be this. I did this this way and I got this result, so it must be true. And we order our lives strictly on human tradition. And what we find, it doesn't last. I look for understanding for my relationships, my friendships, my romantic relationships. And I find out that. Worldview, it, 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 it doesn't work. It may last for a little while. It's, it's just a pacifier. It's empty and deceptive. It doesn't work. It's not true. You know, when we think about what Christ has done for us, he can be trusted. We can trust him with everything. We don't need to look to anything else. Thank you for listening to Point with Daryl Jones. This was just one part from the Christ Supreme series, where we learn Jesus Christ has no rival and that he reigns supreme. If this ministry has blessed you and you would like to partner with Point Ministries, please visit daryljones.org. That's D-A-R-Y-L jones.org. Your financial generosity keeps us on the air, and we are grateful for your faithfulness. Also, if you would like to hear more from the Christ Supreme series, please visit daryljones.org. And remember, keep making Jesus the point.